Do you know what time it is, kids? Are you ready? No, it's not time for Howdy Doody or even Mr. Squarepants, SpongeBob to his friends and family, but it is time for the Lord of the Storm. I am your affable Bible reading friend, Dan Parr, and we are working our way through the New Testament. Today, we find ourselves in Acts 19. I encourage you to turn there now. As for me, I'll be reading from the fantastic, easy-to-understand-and-read EUR version that I've put together and have on Amazon for your purchasing pleasure. Today, raise your hand if you have the Holy Spirit. Paul set the Ephesians straight. We've got some power-packing hankies, and seven sons have what the sun doesn't shine on beaten. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our reading. Father, once again, we come before you and ask you would open the word to us. Open our eyes during this reading, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 19 While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, who had just passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some of the believers. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He asked, What baptism did you receive? They replied, John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized for the turning away from sin, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in foreign languages and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. He entered into the synagogue and spoke boldly for a period of three months, reasoning and persuading about the things concerning God's kingdom. But when some were hardened and disobedient, speaking against the way before the people, he left them and took with him the disciples to teach daily in the school of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. God worked special miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons he touched were carried to the sick and any diseases or evil spirits the people had left them. But when some Jews who had roamed from city to city tried to cast out some evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We command you to come out in Jesus' name, who Paul preaches. These were the seven sons of a man named Scivia, a Jewish priest who did this. An evil spirit answered, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit jumped on them and beat them to the point where they ran out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all the Jews and Greeks and everyone who lived at Ephesus. They were terrified, and the name of the Lord Jesus was honored. Many who had become believers in Jesus came and confessed their sins. Several who had practiced witchcraft brought their sorcery books and burned them in front of everyone. They added up the price of the books and found it to be worth 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing and becoming mighty. Now after this, Paul, led by the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, went to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also go to Rome. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in Asia for a while. During this time, there was a lot of people who were very upset with the way of Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made a lot of money crafting silver shrines of Artemis, got together with other craftsmen and said, Gentlemen, you know that by this business we've made our fortunes. You see and hear that in Ephesus, and almost throughout all of Asia, This Paul has convinced and turned many people to Jesus, saying that there are no gods that are made with hands. Not only is there danger that our business will come to an end, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, who all Asia and the world worships, will be counted as worthless and her majesty destroyed. 
When they heard this, they were filled with anger and cried out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! The whole city was filled with confusion, and they rushed as one into the theater and seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. When Paul wanted to intervene, the believers wouldn't let him. Even some officials who were his friends begged him not to go to the theater. Some in the crowd said one thing, and others said something else, for the whole crowd was in confusion. Most of them didn't know why they had come together. The Jews brought Alexander out in front of the crowd. Alexander motioned with his hand and was going to speak to the people. But when they saw that he was a Jew, they all chanted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! When the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, everyone knows that the city of Ephesus is temple keeper of the great goddess Artemis and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Seeing then that these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet and to do nothing irrational. For you have brought these men here, who aren't temple thieves or blasphemers of your goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a matter against anyone, the courts are open, and there are city leaders. Let them press charges against one another. If there are disputes about other matters, it will be settled in court. For now, we are in danger of being accused for today's riot since there is no reason for it. Concerning it, we wouldn't even be able to give a proper reason for this commotion. After he had said this, he ordered the crowd to leave. Yesterday, we were introduced to Apollos, a believer who knew the scriptures and was an excellent speaker and debater, but didn't fully know about Jesus, or at least about the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is in Ephesus, where Apollos had been before he knew about the Holy Spirit, and Paul starts talking to the believers about the Holy Spirit, and they have no idea who that is. So, he explains him to them, and then lays his hands on them, and they receive him. There's a pretty deep well we can drink from here in all of this. There is some question as to, were these people Christians? They said they received John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Some scholars think that when the word says disciples here, it actually means John's disciples, not Jesus's. And honestly, we don't know really if that's the case or not. But one thing seems clear. There must have been something about their actions, behavior, or words that tipped Paul off that they weren't swimming in the deep end of the pool, spiritually speaking, of course. So he explains it all to them and they receive. There's a lot of debate that has taken place over the past 2,000 years about receiving the Holy Spirit. Is a second baptism needed to receive him? Well, you can go and read plenty of books and articles about that. My belief is this. Jesus saves and saves completely. When we believe in him, we get the whole package. He doesn't say, okay, you get what's behind door number one right now. And later, if you're really good, do a special prayer, fast, etc. Then you get what's behind door number two also. It just doesn't make sense to me. However, I do believe that there are different degrees to which we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. If I give you a balloon and say, blow three times into the balloon, Is there air in it after you do? Yes. But could the balloon get bigger if you blow into it more? Absolutely. I think that is how it is with the Holy Spirit. You receive him at salvation. And if you don't do anything to develop your relationship with him, he's not going to be very active in your life. But if you start asking to be made aware of his promptings and start listening for that still small voice, start acting when you sense you're being prompted to by him you get to know him more. And the more you know him, 
the better you can hear his voice. And your Holy Spirit balloon expands, if you will. And that is what I believe Paul is getting at when he asks them what baptism did they receive. Now, there's some really interesting things going on in this chapter besides this. Sick people are being healed by handkerchiefs that Paul has touched. Over the years, I've seen where pastors have sent their handkerchiefs to people too, sometimes as a thank you for a gift to their ministry. I'm not going to get into all that, but I will tell you this. Ephesians were a superstitious people. They were into sorcery and other types of magic as well. It was part of their culture. So it's not surprising that people would believe that they could be healed by something Paul touched. And the word tells us they were healed. But I don't believe the hankies is what's important in all of this. It's their belief that God would work through it. Here's what I mean. When Jesus healed the woman who had the issue of menstrual bleeding for 12 years, what did he say to her? Daughter, your faith has healed you. It was her faith that in touching Jesus' clothes, she'd be healed. Jesus never told her, touch my cloak and you will be made well. She just knew that he healed people and had so much faith in him that she earnestly believed that if she just touched it, she'd be healed. And she was. So God meets us where we are. He will work with us at whatever stage we are at in our faith. He loves us as a body of believers, but he also loves us individually and knows us better than we know ourselves. So when he looks down and sees people who, because of their culture or upbringing, think that he will heal them through a hanky, he does it out of love. Does that mean he'll do it every time for everyone? No, that's just what they had the faith for. So he met them there. It's not a one-size-fits-all miracle that you can just pick up and use. It was based on their faith. And in this circumstance, just like how we previously heard that some sick people were healed because Peter's shadow fell on them. That is what they had the belief for at that time. So God met them where they were. And he'll do the same for us today, too. The problem is, what do we really believe God will do? In the U.S., it's a different experience for a believer than it is for believers in the remote villages of Africa. When we have a need, many times we don't need God to fulfill it. We can often meet it ourselves. I just had to pay a couple thousand dollars for some repair work. At one point, that would have devastated me. But now that I've got a few years on me, it's a need I'm able to meet. In a very real way, God has already met the need for me by allowing me to have the resources to pay for it. But a believer in another country might not have that experience because of the economy of where they are living. Does that mean God can't meet their need? Not at all. It just means he may meet it differently. But no matter how it's done, it's still God doing it. But here it's easy to forget that because many of us are already extremely blessed financially in comparison to the material poverty of others in other countries. And on the other hand, some of us are in spiritual poverty because we don't expect to see or acknowledge God working in our lives. This is running a little bit longer than normal, so I'll stop right there. But spend some time in the Word on your own and see what else God says to you about this chapter. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your many blessings in our lives. Help us to expand our capacity for the Holy Spirit so we would see you work in even mightier ways in our lives. We love you and are grateful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll talk again soon. God bless.